Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Brilliance Security Podcast. Hello, my name is Steve Bocut, and I am an editor for Brilliance Security Magazine. Brilliance is an online digital publication dedicated to the security industry. Our mission, and thus our name, is to illuminate the intersection of physical and cybersecurity. We cover both of these security domains by publishing original content about threats, hacks, products, and security strategies. We hope you will enjoy this podcast and visit us at brilliancesecuritymagazine.com. Welcome to the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast, and thank you for joining us today. We appreciate your listening. Today, we're going to be talking with Jeff Macri. Jeff is a cybersecurity project manager at 1898 and Company. We're going to be discussing the labor shortage for IT and OT cybersecurity as a topic that's on everybody's minds. Everybody wants to know um, the depth and the scope uh, of this shortage, and most people in the industry are affected by it. So we should have a great discussion on that topic. Before we get into that, let me tell you a little bit more about our guest. So 1898 and Company is part of Kansas City, Missouri-based engineering firm Burns & McDonald, which is one of the country's largest engineering firms. And Jeff is responsible for leading successful projects that bring real value to Burns & Mac clients. During his career, Jeff has successfully led more than 300 projects throughout many of the critical infrastructure sectors, including electric, water, and transportation. He holds a master's degree in business administration and a bachelor's degree in business technology management. Included among the uh, many industry-related certifications Jeff holds are the Certified Information Systems Security Professional, Certified Ethical Hacker, and Project Management Professional. Outside of his work at 1898 and Company, Jeff is a professor at the University of Central Florida teaching various classes within the cybersecurity program. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Good to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Uh, this topic, uh, the labor shortage, is something that I've written over and over about. It's something that comes up in conversation almost always when I'm talking with cybersecurity professionals. It's becoming... Um, quite critical, I think. So um, before we get into that specific topic, there's a couple of things. First of all, I'd like for you to talk about 1898 and company a little bit, maybe some of the history, uh, core competencies, um, what your company does, that kind of thing. Give our audience kind of a, an understanding of your company. Yeah, of course, of course. So 1898 and Co. is a part of Burns & McDonald. As you mentioned, Burns & McDonald is an engineering firm, right? Our big primary focus is engineering, construction, uh, anything related to critical infrastructure. Uh, we've been around since 1898, so we have over 120 years uh, of service in the company. We're a 100% employee-owned company as well. Uh, the 1898 name comes from, obviously, that year Burns & McDonald was founded. Uh, they've taken all of our consulting folks, right? Our cybersecurity tech consulting, really people that are in the company that are providing consulting services to our clients. And we're all in one entity called 1898 and co a large part of Burns & McDonald. Okay. Awesome. So in my mind that I've been familiar with Burns & Max for years and years as we chatted a little bit before we started recording. Um, but, but I, 
I, I wonder when did they, when did you put the 1898 and co division together? Has it been, you know, decades? I mean, you know, cybersecurity yeah. hasn't been that big of a thing. I mean, yeah, if you go back too many decades, there wasn't, there wasn't such a thing. So how long have you guys been doing cybersecurity? Yeah. Great question, Stephen. So about the last three years, we've had that name of 1898 and co where we've kind of established that, um, um, that marketing arm, the consulting arm of the company really to focus on really what we do, how we differentiate ourselves between overall Burns and Mac, again, primarily the consulting team of, of cybersecurity, our tech group, our utility planning folks, utility consulting folks. Again, we work a lot in the electric utility space, critical infrastructure space. Um, okay. And that was, that was a, a focus that we had the last few years that we've been quite successful with. It's been a blast. Um, yeah. kind of rebranding ourselves and getting the name out there and really sharing more about 1898 services. But as a whole, Burns & Mac has had those same groups, the tech consulting, cybersecurity services, uh, utility consulting for, for quite some time. They've been established practices inside the company. We've just recently in the last few years um, placed those within the 1898 name uh, just to make things a little bit simpler for our clients out there. Okay, awesome. And one other thing, not everyone may be aware, and it may vary from from consulting company to consulting company. But is most of the work that you do kind of pre-event? So you're coming in doing, you know, threat evaluations, um, helping people be better prepared, or is most of the work coming in after the event, uh, helping them mitigate, um, or is it a combination of both? Yeah, that's a good question as well too, Stephen. It's a little bit of both, actually. We don't necessarily see that across all consulting firms, but at Burns & Mac, I think we're a little unique just because of the way we operate, the way the company is structured. Being such a large engineering firm, we're, we're very embedded in with a lot of our clients building, designing, planning uh, their infrastructure, the power plants, the roadways, the transmission lines, whatever they are. So we're on that, that beginning planning phase and design phase. Uh, so, so Burns and Mac will, will pull us in, right? Pull in the 1898 arm of the company to provide some cybersecurity and tech consulting and, and different recommendations um, on those projects. And then on the flip flip side, right on the back end of the project, the clients are aware of us, right? They're knowledgeable of us. We have a relationship with them. So we're helping them do assessments, reviews, uh, whatever it is that they need to complete after the fact, um, primarily around compliance, auditing, things like that, that a lot of the entities have to maintain um, once they have an established facility. Got it. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. All right. So um, the other thing that I want to talk about before we get into the labor shortage specifically is I was going to ask you to talk something, tell us something about the difference between IT and OT jobs. I mean, obviously there's, there's different types of cybersecurity jobs. So maybe if you could talk to us a little bit about the difference between the IT and OT cybersecurity job, jobs, do they have the same career path or does the career path differ? Um, that kind of thing. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, they're all computers. It's all technology, right? So right. there's some strong similarities uh, between IT and OT. But the, the big comparison that I like to say is on the IT space, you're in an office facility, you're in carpeted areas, right? On the OT space, not so much, right? We're out on uh, a generation facility, right? A manufacturing facility, a power plant, these kind of things. So uh, usually when I'm talking to clients, I'm wearing a suit, maybe a shirt and tie. When I'm actually working, I'm wearing a hard hat, boots, and, and a safety vest, right? So uh, it's a little bit of difference between the, some of the IT work that someone may do versus some OT uh, cybersecurity work. Okay. So when I, and when I think of the difference between IT and OT, uh, and I may, you may have a different perception here, but I think more of IOT being 
an OT issue. And IoT is something that cybersecurity professionals are very concerned about because we've got tons of internet connected devices out there, many of which no one was thinking about security when they came up with these ideas and even installed them in the field. So is that a big part of the difference? And is that a big part of what you do? Oh, yeah. So in general, I mean, we, we even so we have coined our own term on the OT side, right? We have IIoT, which okay. is industrial yeah. Internet of Things, right? And they're these devices that we're deploying from an industrial standpoint on operational uh, technology network sensors, uh, measurement gauges, things like that. So we can see everything that's happening across the facility. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that we focus on. On the IT side, though, that's a little bit more of a concern. Uh, with the IoT devices, just because yes, you have your Nest thermostats and your temperature gauges and your garage door openers and your all of these devices, right? That we're deploying um, to make lives easier, primarily usually in a small, you know, office or home office environment. Um, and yeah, it definitely opens up uh, your attack vector, right? The amount of devices, the the things that people can connect to from the outside world, and definitely poses a risk, and it's something to be concerned about. Typically on an OT site or when we're talking about OT devices, they're very segmented. They're very, uh, we, we sometimes use the term air gap. It's really not the best term to use because air gap truly means that the network is not connected at all to any other systems. The majority of the power facilities, things like that, these large critical infrastructure OT networks, they are connected to a certain extent, but very, very limited data is coming out of those facilities. And in some cases, no data is coming in whatsoever. So it eliminates the chances of threats. Um, that's that's a big difference between kind of some of the IT systems or OT systems, right? We really are segmented, very controlled environment on an OT network. Um, don't have a lot of, you know, these additional kind of IoT devices that we would deploy, uh, you know, at random on an OT network. It's very, very structured, very controlled environment. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I like the I like, we like the way you've described that. So, and let me just dig a, dig a little deeper there because it seems like. IoT devices, and we'll use your terminology. So IoT devices, those being IT network, you know, devices connected to an IT network, um, they're normally seen as a perimeter protection problem. They, they're not, they're not, you know, the Nest uh, thermostat is not the target of the attack. It's the the entree into the network. So the the attacker is going to use that to get into the network to, you know steal data or whatever it is that they're going to do. But you know that's just the way in, like a camera on a, on a business network, that kind of thing. But with OT, that may not necessarily be the case because sometimes these IIoT devices, to use your terminology, those are the, the, the attack is aimed at that particular device. It's a turbine generator or a pump or you know a, a, something that puts chemicals into the water system or something like that. So that's actually the attack. Um, objective is it does that make sense is that accurate yeah most definitely i mean the the devices that you need to place in your home and the the, the scary thing right that around the iot devices so as we see more of these more devices are connected to the internet i mean we have a vacuum cleaner here in my family home <laughs> uh that's connected to, to the internet right why it has that feature i'm not sure yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh what we look at is yes this is a way that someone can gain access into your environment if you have another device that's communicating out and allowing communication to come back in it poses a threat um, but what we really want to think about when we talk about cybersecurity, we want to think outside the box. We want to think like a hacker, right? That's the real goal of being successful in cybersecurity and implementing good cybersecurity controls, even in your own life, at your home environment, or in an organization, even something you know large scale like an OT environment, is to think outside the box. And when I say IoT and I think about IoT devices, I don't necessarily think about attacking the device and allowing that 
to be a step into my network. I think about, well, what happens if someone attacked all of the devices, mm -hmm. right? A lot of people may not think, well, let's, I'm not too worried about the security on my television or my, or my vacuum cleaner right. for that matter, right? But if an attacker can take advantage of these devices, yes, maybe gain access to your network. But again, you may say, oh, I don't have anything to hide. I don't, I don't have anything of, of concern. Well, if I can connect to one, you know, robotic vacuum cleaner or television, I can connect to a hundred or a thousand, okay, right. or more than that. And, right. and that is a big concern from a cyber cybersecurity perspective. If we can connect all of these devices and control these devices, we could use those devices to implement a wide range of attacks, very sophisticated, very strong, powerful attacks uh, on different networks that are out there. So that's something to consider as well too. We wanna to think outside the box a little bit when we look at these devices, not just the device itself, but could the devices be used in conjunction with another type of an attack um, that may be quite impactful um, at a business or, or in, a, in a home environment as well too. Right, okay. Awesome. All right. Uh, one more thing before we get into the, the, the main topic of the, the labor shortage, there's one other thing that just kind of came to my mind. And, and I'd like to get your perspective on this because you do teach cybersecurity at a, co a college level. So if what advice, I guess, let's, let's put it in that perspective. So what, what advice would you have for someone um, still getting their education who's interested in working in cybersecurity field they don't know whether they want to go the IT route or the OT route. Is there a point during that education where you should start, where you should, it'd be beneficial if you made that decision? Are there certain classes or certain things you need to, to learn or even certain certifications that you should pursue that would help you better in the OT world as opposed to the IT world? Or is it pretty much the same education all the way up and then you get the field level expertise as you work in the field? Yeah, fantastic question. I, mean, I, I take it as my personal mission. One of the reasons why I teach and I, I love teaching so much in, in, the, in the cybersecurity program here at UCF is to just share the OT as an option, right? Okay. A lot of folks out there don't even understand that there's, hey, I could work in this OT environment. There's not really that choice that they're pondering. Do I go IT? Do I go OT? Everybody thinks IT is everything. Um, so I love getting into class with students, especially new students that come to the program and teaching them, hey, listen, this is kind of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. This is what your career could look like if you worked in cybersecurity. It's not just all sitting in an office, you know, working on an email server or a web server, or resetting passwords and, and right. doing things like that, right? We can be out in the field touching devices that have, you know, a major impact for a community, right? If we're generating electricity or something like that at a large power plant, those devices are critical, Right, um, we can't stress that enough. Uh, those operations, those devices have to function. The operations at that plant have to function. Your cybersecurity is not just, hey, the company's website's going to go down for a few hours or something like that. It's these devices have to work. Because if they don't, we won't be making electricity, and then hospitals won't be able to turn their lights on, and the infrastructure, the traffic lights, things like that won't function. Um, so just sharing that with them, and, and, and a little bit of my passion and excitement for the field. I think that kind of sparks some interest in the in the community. So I think the real onus there is not so much the students or people getting into the field deciding IT or OT. It's folks in the field now that are in the OT field sharing a little bit more, being a little bit more vocal, getting out there and saying, hey, this is really cool what we do. Let's not kind of be so quiet about it, right? Let's get out there and, and tell everybody how amazing this is and bring as many people into the field as we can. All right, cool. And would you say, uh, I'm sure there'll be some differences, but are the, the strategies, you know, the prevention strategies, mitigation strategies, and the tools, are they basically the same across IT and OT? It's just how they're applied. 
they are conceptually they are there's things very differently the way that the way the devices communicate on an ot network are different right than on an it network you have an email server you have web servers you have things like that when you when you're talking to a web server you're speaking a certain protocol there right like http or https right these are the common protocols for browsing websites we, we typically don't talk those type of protocols on, a, on an ot network yes we have http and https sites but we're, we're talking different type of communications however it's just different types of communication. The same controls are in place, right. right? We still want to enforce password complexity. We want to change passwords. And if features aren't needed on a device, we want to disable them, right? There's no need to have a feature or a service or another application running on a machine if you're not going to use that or not leveraging that. So we want to disable that. The concept's exactly the same on the IT side. Um, if someone leaves your company, it behooves you, right? Immediately let's disable their accounts. Um, all of these things, patching of systems, they, they all are 100% applicable from IT to OT and vice versa. It's just the devices that we're working on, the way those devices communicate uh, and the impact that those devices would have, right? Uh, drastically, right? On an IT side, right? If I, if I crash a server or something like that, uh, it may cause some definite problems. Maybe some people on the board would, wouldn't be too happy with me mm -hmm. saying uh, it wouldn't be that big of an impact. But on the OT side, I think you can see the... the the stark difference of impact, right? If one of those devices fails or goes down, but overall, yes, like you mentioned, the controls are the same. We, we look at them very similar and we want to apply the same type of security controls. Got it. Okay. All right. So let's get into the, the topic that we came to talk about more specifically, and that is this labor shortage. So from, from your vantage point, help us understand, you know, what the labor shortage looks like, how critical is it? Uh, you know, what, what kind of, Ill effects are you seeing or could you even predict from the course that we're on right now? Yeah, I mean, it's scary. I mean, it's scary. There's the, I don't think the companies realize the, the, the problems around the corner, right? There's just not enough skilled labor out there. Um, there are some talented people out there. I can tell you that a lot of people transitioning into the field, um, you know, scooping up some of these positions, helping them out. It's, it's fantastic to see. Um, but there's, there's the numbers are just astonishing. I, I looked this morning, Stephen. So there's currently at the moment, there's 597,000 job openings just here in the United States. That's actual openings that just, that's not a wow. projected number. That's actual statistics. Uh, CyberSeek is a, is a phenomenal website. You guys can check it out. I share with your listeners, but they will track all of the open positions out there, uh, career pathways, how to get into those positions. But it's, it's, that's scary. It's a lot of positions that are out there. Uh, there's just not enough people to fill those jobs. Wow. That is amazing. A half a million jobs that could be filled right now if we had the people to fill them, but we don't have people that are trained and experienced to fill them. And so, and I know everybody is concerned about the, what appears to be a rapid increase in the number of all types of, of attacks, ransomware, all kinds of, all kinds of attacks are, are increasing. Can you make a tie between those two things? Um, there's just not enough security people to protect Infrastructures, yeah, I mean, I, I, or, or is it, are they kind of unrelated? I think companies, I mean, they're definitely related. There's some correlation there, but I think companies have been a little slow to pull the trigger on really putting some dollars towards cybersecurity, growing that budget. Okay. Um, I think cybersecurity was always kind of a part of this overall IT budget, and it, and it kind of was just a line item. And now cybersecurity is getting a lot more attention. A lot of companies that might have had a CIO maybe now have a CISO as well on mm -hmm. their uh, on, on their team, right? So to be able to really direct and, and, and provide that feedback to management about what's important and where those dollars should be spent in cybersecurity. But yeah, companies are finally coming around. They're, they're, they're posting the jobs. As you can see, the jobs are out there. 
um, and they're investing in more tools, right? More technology themselves. And there's a strong correlation there, right? A lot of folks don't realize, hey, if I buy this fantastic tool and I deploy it and it's managing my, or it's watching for threats and it's analyzing my network and it's keeping an eye on things, somebody has to keep an eye on that tool, right? What happens when the tool detects something or it alerts, right? That's another staff member that I may have to bring on staff to keep an eye on that. Um, so it's not one of these things where we can just purchase technology and throw technology at the problem. That definitely helps. Um, but a lot of times, yeah, we have to increase the staff with that as well. Um, I think that's the part that not all companies are really seeing uh, and that's starting to catch up to them, right? And that's why they're starting to grow rapidly and really post these positions and really see that, hey, we're, we're going to have to staff up a lot. And, and from our perspective, right, in 1898, we're growing rapidly. Uh, our company's investing heavily in the cybersecurity division. Uh, we've staffed up multiple people over just the last few months, let alone the last couple of years. And we have a really hard time finding, you know, the, the top talent out there, right? We, we scour, we look, we look. Uh, we're very in-depth interviewing folks, right? We want to bring the best people on board. And, uh, it, it, you know, years ago, I remember being a part of those processes and we would just get a plethora of folks and we, we, we could, you know, choose from anybody we wanted. They were all fantastic. And it's just not the case anymore. A lot of companies are scooping up the talent that's out there. So there's, there's folks that need to be trained. We need to bring more people into the field um, to really address the matter. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So, and that kind of leads us to um, the next question that I'd like to ask. I'd like for us to talk about what companies can or should be doing to mitigate the effects of this labor shortage, uh, maybe some creative ideas that we can come up with. But before we do that, we're going to take a short break. So hang on and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So Jeff, tell us if you can from how you feel about what companies can or should be doing to mitigate the labor shortage problem that we're all experiencing. Um, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I think that needs to get addressed, maybe maybe one, two, and three on that list, if the companies out there are listening to me, is uh, let's update those job descriptions, right? Let's be accurate on these job titles. I can't tell you how many job descriptions I see that the, that the job title is kind of vague, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you're starting to see a, a transition. Companies are updating these things. They're, they're using more cybersecurity analyst roles. Um, you, you would see titles like programmer. You know, and the, the job requires no programming. It's just that's what the company is referred to as kind of an IT or a cyber position. Um, and then within the job description themselves, they're asking for every quality that you possibly could think of, right? They want someone that does networking. They want someone that does programming. They want someone that does this. These, these unicorns just don't exist, right? People have specialties. They have a passion. They have something they like to, to enjoy doing. And they bring those skills into the cyber team, but not every skill, right? And I think that's just some knowledge and some education that needs to happen from a lot of the companies. We're seeing a great transition. Years ago, it was much worse. So we're seeing a lot of, a lot of improvement in this area, but it, it requires a lot more focus and attention that um, yeah, folks are looking at these jobs. They're asking for so much. They're very vague. We want to be very specific about the roles and the functions um, that are required so we can make sure we're getting the right talents. I think, I think we, we miss out on a lot of good folks potentially because that just the way that the job descriptions are written, the way that we're calling out the skills and then the work that's going to be required of these individual needs, needs, needs some definite, uh, needs some definite work there, some focus. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I hear that a lot in the industry that people that are looking for jobs, there doesn't seem to be any uniformity, um, uh, the job description or the job title uh, from one company means something totally different at a different company. So you can't really just look for a job title. You have to delve a little deeper. And then oftentimes, as you pointed out, I hear people say that they want 
they want you to have every certification uh, and a, you know, a master's degree in computer science to be you know, a SOC analyst. And maybe that's not realistic. And you hate to say, well, people, companies need to, to lower their standards. That's, a, that's kind of a brutal way to say it, but there may be some truth to the fact that, no, you need to be, you may need to subdivide what your people are doing a little bit more so that a SOC analyst may not need to have uh, a CISSP. Um, you know, that's the next step in, in their career. So let's not just exclude people without that particular certification. Um, all right. So that's fascinating. So any other maybe more creative things that the companies could do. So it kind of comes to my mind that if you've got, so you've got a bunch of IT people that are OT people, network people uh, working for your company, not all of them know much about security. Is that a, a valid avenue for an organization? So let's just get, let's just train our in-house people, our computer, our people who know networks and know computers. Uh, let's give them the training in-house that they need to become more security aware so that we can now use them either actually in the security department or at least help augment our security efforts. Does that seem like something that might make sense? Yeah, I'm a strong believer in that. I mean, I mean, if you have talent within the company that's passionate, that wants to learn, I think any company in any area, not just we're talking about cybersecurity, but any any employee that you have at any company that's showing an interest, give them the training, right? Encourage them and provide those avenues for training. Um, and that's something I'm, 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 I'm pushing right here inside of Burns & Mac. We, we work closely with our IT department and we want to pull some of those folks in to maybe help on the consulting arm uh, and leverage them on some of our projects. But that it's a two-way street as well too, right? It's not just the companies providing the training. The employees have to have to show that interest too. And, and there's a lot of folks out there that just don't realize, hey, I could get into OT. How do I get into OT? Where do I look for these positions? Right. Um, everybody has a municipality, right? Everybody has lights at their house, right? And water and wastewater and these things. They're all local, right? In your backyard, in your local community. So I would reach out to these municipalities, you know, contact them, your local power company, look for job descriptions that they have, job postings that they have, see what kind of tools and things like that that they're asking for in there and maybe provide, um, you know, a little bit of homework and research on your own to be able to, to, to scale up or, or knowledge about some of those areas. I think that'd be very beneficial to help with those companies. But internally, yeah, I mean, it, we need to be training more people. We need to be offering that. But cybersecurity is not just, it should be happening for just the folks that are going to work in cybersecurity. All companies should be doing cybersecurity training across the organization because cybersecurity is a, is, is a responsibility of everybody in the organization, not just the folks working in the cybersecurity department. Somebody that's in accounting or finance or HR or something else, they're the ones maybe clicking on that ransom email, right? They exactly. got sent to you and they're infecting the whole organization. So to answer your question, Stephen, just taking a couple of steps back, yeah, training across the organization as a whole is fantastic and should be happening uh, at every organization. But yeah, if we, if we have IT staff or you have folks in the company uh, that can be leveraged and can be taught a little bit more about cyber and have more of a cyber focus, I think that's a no brainer. And I think if those discussions were had with those employees, I think they would definitely show an interest to that. Yeah, cybersecurity is just such an exciting ever-changing field. The threats are always changing, expanding. Um, it is great job security and it's fun to get up every day and never know kind of what you're going to tackle or what, what lies around the corner. So it's definitely right. something I would encourage them to do. Interesting. I, I like that idea that you know, if, you, if you don't have enough cybersecurity workers in your organization, some of your focus should go towards training your staff so you don't need as many cybersecurity workers in your organization because the environment is just more secure. Because like you said, all of the employees uh, you know, do the things that we all know that we should be doing, and maybe you can teach them some things, some additional things that they can do. So that you takes the pressure, the hiring pressure 
off of the security team because the threats are mitigated. The number of threats is, is reduced before they uh, can do any damage. Um, and, and, I, and it occurs to me also, and maybe you do some of this, but organizations probably can and should be doing some evangelizing to community colleges and universities where people are getting trained, particularly people who have needs for OT folks. Like you said, you, it's one of the things that you talk about a lot. So um, it, it would be worthwhile, I think, for municipalities and water companies and power companies to make sure they're getting out in front of first and second year students in these, in these colleges and universities to help them understand what the options are. Do you see any of that? Or is that something that we could still do better at? Yeah, we definitely could do better at that. I mean, I think a lot of the organizations in the, in the, you know, the IT companies and the, and the OT companies out there, I think they need to do a good job of really understanding what skills that they need first. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, working with local colleges, I mean, I could attest here locally at University of Central Florida, they have partnerships with Duke Energy, they have partnerships with FPL, and also Lockheed Martin uh, here locally. So these, these colleges are working close with local businesses, the local businesses are working close with the college, sponsoring programs, bringing equipment in. I know that's something that's quite, quite popular at UCF, right? We have a lot of equipment in the lab from Lockheed Martin, a lot of uh, power generation uh, devices in the Duke lab and the FPL lab as well that are over there. So that's, that's something that has to happen. That's fundamental for the growth, especially on the OT side, right? These are some specialized systems that you, you just might not be able to get your hands on out in the field. Uh, there's not maybe too many YouTube videos on some of the <laughs> things that we work on on the OT side versus the IT side, but it, but it is a two-way street. Yeah, but it starts with really the companies understanding, hey, what kind of skills are we looking for? What do we really want? Where do we see cybersecurity going in our organization? And then, yeah, partnering with local colleges um, to be able to get that talent. But I don't want to be skewed just because I'm, I'm a professor at a local college. I don't want to imply that you have to have a college degree or you have to have some sort of college training to get in the field. You, you absolutely don't. Um, it definitely helps. Some organizations are different. They, they want to require, you know, a four-year degree or a two-year degree just as a, as a minimum to get in. I think that is something that, that needs a little bit more attention and change mm -hmm. as well in the field, not just as we talked about job descriptions and job recs before, but really understanding the talent pool and not all the talent pool in the cyber field comes with a four-year degree. Um, or maybe comes with a four-year degree in that area. Maybe they have a four-year degree in communications or something else. They worked in one field and then they're, they transitioned in, in kind of the cyber field over time. Um, but yeah, you, you, there's a handful of certifications and just your practice and showing knowledge on a specific area that is extremely valuable to companies. A lot of these organizations, they're deploying this technology. They need someone to manage a tool, to keep an eye on it. Uh, Stephen, before you mentioned a SOC analyst, right? A security operations center. You're deploying these tools. Data is being analyzed. Information is being collected across an environment. It's coming into a centralized area like a SOC, a security operations center. You need staff in there to keep an eye on those devices. Now, does that person have to manage every device and know every device in that facility? Not necessarily. If they have one specific skill or they have one set of experiences or some practice with a specific tool that even they may have, you know, acquired on their own from studying, right? Or watching YouTube videos or whatever it may be. You're taking industry certifications. There's a lot of vendors out there that offer free training and free certifications, Okay, from their websites, from those vendors, they want people out there certified in their technology. You can you can pursue this, right? And getting some of those is a perfect fit at a lot of these organizations. So you can come in working for an organization in a cyber field, in a cyber position without a lot of experience potentially, and without a formal degree. Does that experience, does that formal degree help you? Of course it does, but I don't want that to be a deterrent to anybody that's thinking about getting in the field. 
That's a good point. I appreciate you brought that up because I know there, there are lots of alternatives. There are, you know, boot camps and, you know, training programs for the various certification, industry certifications. Um, many of them have a cost associated with them, but it doesn't take as long as getting a four-year degree. And you could get started in the industry. And if you feel like you want to get your degree, I would never discourage anyone from getting a four-year degree, but you could, through a boot camp or a certification class, um, can maybe get the background you need to get started. So I appreciate you bringing that up. All right. So we've come to come to the end. We're about out of time. So the last question that I'd like to leave our guests with is what did I fail to ask? So what else do our listeners need to know either about the cybersecurity labor shortage or 1819 and co um, or cybersecurity in general? Yeah, I mean, the thing to add is it's, it is growing. It's not going anywhere. There's more and more devices that are going to be embedded with technology. I mean, you guys just think about, you know, the transportation space is growing rapidly and Burns and McDonald are implementing a lot more security projects for transportation clients. That's rail, uh, you know, primarily, right? That's even in, in you know, the, the Department of Transportation, the DOTs across the United States, we're talking with them. We're talking about implementing sensors and technology in the roadways mm-hmm. for these autonomous vehicles to communicate to, to ensure safety and driving. So these are systems that are quite risk adverse, right? Or, or just have a focus of high risk. If someone was able to implement some hacks or some 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 modifications of these systems that can have dire impacts. So there's we're rapidly growing, not only in the transportation maritime and ports as well. You're doing a lot of work in the maritime port space. These are areas that don't have a lot of technology deployed currently. Uh, they're getting a lot more technology. So that's just one thing I, I want to make sure I highlight to the listeners out there that 1898 and Co is, is definitely plugged into some of the newest latest and greatest when it comes to OT cybersecurity uh, projects that are out there in, in controls, but it's everywhere in your life. Everywhere you turn, you're going to have to deal with cybersecurity. That's why I mentioned before, it's it's responsibility of everybody, even uh, folks outside of the cyber field. So even if you're not transitioning into the cyber field, it's something of a focus. Um, and I would definitely encourage you or challenge you if it seems exciting, um, if it seems interesting, definitely dip your toes in the water a little bit. I think you'd be surprised. Uh, how much fun it can be working in the cyber field and and quite profitable as well too, right? Uh, it is a field that requires skill, passion, determination, and uh, in the field we're compensated for that. Uh, so I definitely encourage people to get into the field. It's very, uh, you know, worthwhile opportunity and it's fun, right? We, we, we're working in systems that are, that are extremely important to the, to the citizens and the, to the, to the constituents around our area. Uh, and it's, 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 puts a smile on your face, definitely helps me uh, every day when I roll out of bed and say, hey, what kind of a fun, exciting thing I can do today? Uh, and that's something I definitely would share with, um, you know, with all the listeners as well, too, a little bit about the excitement about working in the field, um, get out there and, and you never know what attack or threat is happening. Um, it's ever changing in the cybersecurity field. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for spending some time with us and a big thanks to our listeners for being with us. And please remember to like and subscribe if you find this podcast interesting and join us next time for another episode of the Brilliant Security Magazine podcast. Thank you, Stephen.